Uh, good morning. If you're new with us today, my name is David Cassidy, and I'm the lead pastor here at Spanish River Church, and it's a great joy to open up God's Word with you today. Before we do, I'm going to ask us to take a brief moment to pray a little further this morning um, into some of the, the darkness that has um, um, fallen upon some of our great cities these last couple of days. And this morning, because of uh, violence, some of it clearly racially motivated, there are people who are in pain, not only from the injuries they've suffered, but the pain of sorrow and grief and loss because of the death of many. And that can be a foreshadowing of more, or we can say, Lord, won't you please intervene, not only to comfort and strengthen those who are in pain and who are hurting, but wouldn't you please pour out your spirit on the, on the people of this land? What if we had a summer of revival instead of a summer of violence? Let's pray, shall we? Let's ask God's help in this time of need. There's a lot of people hurting today. Lord, we remember those in Milwaukee and Buffalo, Chicago, many other places, who this morning endure great sorrow, many tears, and we pray for their comfort. For those who are injured, we pray for their recovery. Lord, the shadow of violence has often fallen upon our land, on our cities and our towns, schools and villages. And Lord, you have taught us to pray that we would be delivered from evil. So would you please deliver us from the evil of hatred, which always ends in violence. Would you please pour out your spirit of grace and mercy upon our land? And would you raise up your people to pray and to seek your face and to be the instruments of peace where there is injury and where there is anger? Lord, strengthen your people, we pray, and do this by your word and spirit. And we pray for a great outpouring of your spirit across this land, for we know that it is only by you coming with your grace and power that any, any place can be healed. So Lord, we humble ourselves before you again. We pray and we seek your face. We turn from our wicked ways and we ask, Lord, that you would bring about a great deliverance. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for praying with me this morning. I'm gonna invite you to turn with me today to Matthew chapter 16 towards the end of that text, Matthew 16. And if you're new with us today, we're in a series called King of Hope. And we are looking in particular at the life and the ministry of Jesus. And we followed him beginning in Advent from his birth all the way through on Good Friday to his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and then Easter Sunday, his resurrection. And for the 40-day period between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the Father, during that period of time, and that's the period of time we're in now, he, it says, taught his disciples about the kingdom. And while we don't have exactly an awareness of everything he said during that time and what he taught, we have taken the opportunity to go back and look at what he taught his disciples about the kingdom that led up to his, his death and burial and resurrection. And we do have one episode, and we're going to read it this morning, where Jesus gives not a parable of the kingdom, but a sign of the kingdom. And we're going to spend today and next Sunday on signs of the kingdom. He gives a sign of the kingdom, and he even says, as you'll note at the end of the reading today, 
Let's talk about this after the resurrection. So here we are post-Easter. It's the perfect opportunity for us to tackle this passage. Now, I'm going to tell you right at the outset, it's a mysterious passage. Um, The vast majority of of people that um, grow up in this culture get Christmas cards. You may have even had an Easter card. I doubt if anybody ever gave you a, a happy Ascension Day card. Probably you never got a happy Pentecost Sunday greeting. I'll promise you at Hallmark they have no Transfiguration Day cards. But the greatest tragedy of all is that the vast majority of Christians that I know have never heard a sermon on the transfiguration. They never have. I took a poll last night in our Saturday night service. Only two people said, yeah, I've heard a sermon on the transfiguration. That's it. That has confirmed my experience over and over and over again. Many of you this morning may have never heard a sermon on the transfiguration of Christ. Well, you'll, after today, that will not be the case. We're going to pick it up here in 1624. Now, the Bible was not written in chapter and verse. You may not know that. It was not written in chapter and verse. Those came in hundreds of years later so that we could have an easier time finding stuff. And that's great, but sometimes those those divisions kind of get in the way of the story. And that happens here. So we got to start in 16 and read over into 17. All right, so 1624. Then Jesus told his disciples... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And then listen to this remarkable statement. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So Jesus says to the people who are listening, you're going to... Some of you, even before you die, there's, there's some of you who are going to see what the kingdom looks like. You're going to see it here. Before the second coming, before I come back, you're going to see a manifestation of the kingdom. And six days later, see, that's why you don't want to break the story. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was, here's the word, transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I could make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, Peter, be quiet. (laughs) Shut up. You know, when the Lord says shut up, right? Pay attention. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. 
But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So here's one of those post-Easter conversations I'm sure they had. Do you remember what you saw on the mountain? And so they saw the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, would you send the same Holy Spirit who first inspired Matthew to record these words and write them in our hearts today, we pray. Amen. So one of my favorite stories are the Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe that's a favorite for many of you too. And one of my favorite passages in the Chronicles of Narnia is in The Horse and His Boy, where the protagonist Shasta who is going through all kinds of terrible ordeals and sorrows, finds himself in a dark wood. And he's walking along, and he is filled with anxiety and fear and foreboding. He's caught up in all of the trials and terrible things that have been going on. And suddenly, he becomes aware as the great fog is surrounding him in the darkness of the presence of someone nearby that he can't see because it's misty and foggy and dark and he's in the middle of the forest and so he can't see. All he can hear is heavy breathing. And he hears the footfall of very large feet and he is then terrified. And he thinks, if I just keep my head down and keep moving, maybe this, whatever it is, will go away. He thinks it might be a monster. He thinks it might be a giant of some kind or a terrible beast that wants to tear him to pieces. And so he just keeps going. And finally, the heavy breathing doesn't stop. The the footfall just keeps going side by side every step he takes. Here comes another step. And when he can't take it anymore, he, he finally just blurts out, who are you? And back comes the voice, who are you? And he says, well, I am the most unfortunate of all people. And the voice says, tell me your sorrows. He can't see anyone. And so he begins to recount to him all of these trials, all of the ordeals, everything he's been going through that's so awful. And he gets to the end of this catalog of of nightmares. And the voice says to him, I don't call you unfortunate. And he says, well, again, who are you? Myself, said the voice. Very deep. And lo, so that the earth shook. And then again, myself, loud and clear. And then a third time, myself, whispered so softly that you could hardly hear it. And yet it seemed to come from all around him like the wind rustling in the leaves. And then the trees part And you know who appears. It's the face of Aslan, king of Narnia. The great Christ figure who comes to him. 
And it says that Shasta felt both terror and joy. And the fog turned to light. Something like that happens to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus tells them that there is a day coming in the future when the Son of Man will come with the glory of his Father and all the holy angels and judgment day will unfold and as believing people, we look forward to that day. But Jesus also told them that in a certain sense, that kingdom which is yet to come has already come among them, but they just hadn't seen it. Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on Mount Tabor, and they get up to the top, and there it says, this remarkable event took place. They looked, and suddenly, everything about Jesus in his humanity, his clothing, his face, skin, everything became translucent. And this uncreated, incredible light began to shine out from him, and suddenly, standing with him was a guy from heaven, Elijah, and a guy from the realm of the dead, Moses. Moses and Elijah, the two greatest figures of the Old Testament, are standing there with Jesus, who is glowing in the dark. And Peter says, let's set up camp. <laughs> this is a great service. And it was, let's face it. That's a great church service right there. Who'd want to leave that meeting? There's Moses and Elijah, and they're having a conversation with Christ. What's going on here? As soon as Peter speaks up, a cloud that's bright suddenly envelops them and surrounds them. And then a voice comes out of the cloud and says, this is my son, listen to him. Now again, have you ever heard a sermon on this? Probably not. Why? Because it's weird. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, this is a weird passage. This is a weird moment. This is kind of an unusual event. I mean, Jesus getting baptized or healing people or exorcising evil spirits or even dying on the cross or rising from the dead, all of that we're kind of used to hearing. What's going on here? Why is Jesus suddenly translucent and everything that's on the inside, which we know about because he's God, but which the disciples did not know about because they only knew him as man, all of that is coming out. What is going on here? Well, first of all, let's notice who's there. First of all, the Holy Trinity is there. So there's Christ himself, the second person of the Trinity. And what's happening is the humanity with which he is clothed, because the word from the beginning became flesh and dwelt among us. And God took his divine nature and he united it to our human nature in the incarnation of Jesus Christ when he was conceived in Mary's womb. So when he comes into the world, it's someone, Jesus Christ, who is 100% human, but also 100% God. So that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But he's so human in all that he does. It's not that Jesus didn't walk around, you know, didn't float three feet off the ground. Jesus, when he was a child, didn't walk on the water. You know, Mary never went out and said, come in off the lake. Stop showing off to all of your friends, you know. Knock that stuff off. That's not, he was so completely human 
that it took a divine revelation for Peter to know who he was. Earlier in chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Other people said Jesus was Elijah, Elijah, that he was John the Baptist back from the dead. Some people said he was Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, who do you say that I am? And then Peter spoke up and he spoke in the spirit and he said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of God. And Jesus says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You didn't see this because of what you're looking at. My father showed you something. What's going on in this passage? Well, two things I want to draw your attention to. The first one is this, a revelation of Jesus' identity as the king of glory. And that's so important because we need to see him properly. Because who you behold in worship is who you will become like in life. The one you behold in worship will be the one you become like in life. And here's the second thing. There's not only a revelation of Jesus' identity as the king of glory, there is a revelation of us of our destiny as the citizens of his kingdom. Let's tackle the first one. Who is he? Well, he's God. You see, he's talking with Moses and Elijah, the two greatest figures of the Old Testament, and they are giving him deference. You go, what were they talking about? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us, but Luke does. Luke tells us that Jesus was speaking with Moses about his upcoming exodus from Jerusalem. Now, can I just tell you that if you're having a conversation with Moses about an exodus, that's worth listening in on, right? Because Moses is the figure of the exodus. He's the one that God sends into Pharaoh's house. He sends him into Egypt, and there the signs and the wonders take place, God's judgments on Egypt that ultimately lead to the terrible and glorious night of Passover in which the blood of a lamb is slain and the blood is put on the doorposts and God's judgment comes through and the firstborn that are not under the blood, they're, they're, they perish and, and, and God's people go out and they're led out of Egypt and they go through the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is destroyed and they sing for joy. The horse and the rider, he's hurled into the sea. This is the Lord my God, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And God leads his people forward out of slavery, brings them to Mount Sinai and enters into covenant with them. That Moses, and Moses and Jesus are talking about a new exodus that's about to take place when Jesus gets to Jerusalem. Wow. So what is happening is a few weeks later, Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to do a new exodus because he's a greater Moses. And it's not going to be a deliverance that's just from the tyranny of a human government. It's going to be a liberation from the slavery of sin and death. And you go, oh yeah, that's right. Jesus is the Passover lamb. I've heard that. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and his blood is over our lives and that's what frees us. Yes, that's right. But do you remember what the penalty was? What was the final plague in Egypt when God's judgment came through? It was the death of the firstborn. And who was Jesus? The firstborn. He's the firstborn. And so not only is Jesus' blood the lamb's blood, 
that brings mercy on all those who will have it over the doorposts of their heart. But Jesus is also the firstborn who is slain, who takes the full penalty of everything that belonged to us. All of the judgment that would have fallen upon us. Jesus, when he dies on the cross, he takes it to himself. And when he goes into the grave, he bears our sins. He bears our judgment. Friends, some of you sitting here this morning are thinking God is angry with you. God is displeased with you. God is going to get you. But all of the wrath and the judgment of God fell on Christ at the cross. He's the firstborn and the judgment fell on him. And if you believe in Christ, then you have passed out of judgment into life. Why is that so? Because the one who came to save us is himself God. And suddenly the disciples see the light of heaven. What are they seeing? They're seeing, listen to this, a little taste of heaven on earth. Elijah, who descended to heaven. Moses, the greatest prophet from the Old Testament. Christ himself and the light of heaven. They're seeing all that. And then the cloud shows up. The cloud. The cloud of God. The communicated presence of God on the earth. Who's that? You go, what's that? Well, the what is a who. It's the Holy Spirit. You see, if you read the Old Testament, the cloud shows up in the book of Genesis. It says that Adam and Eve walked with God. If you have the old King James Version, it says, in the cool of the day. But, but uh, literally, it says, in the cloud of the day. The cloud of the day. It was the place of communion with God. And then when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, that presence, that cloud went away. When Moses got to Mount Sinai, he built a tabernacle. That's where God's presence was going to be on the earth. And that cloud came and filled it. When Solomon built the temple, that cloud came and filled it. And it was a weighty cloud. It was weighty. The Hebrew word glory, kabod, means heavy, heavy. It's like a bunch of old hippies. It was heavy, man. That's the glory of God. It's heavy. And it says when that cloud showed up at Solomon's temple, the priests who were standing there felt the weight of God's presence and they had to lay down on the ground. They couldn't even get up. They were paralyzed down on the ground because God had showed up. That's how thick and heavy was the tangible felt presence of God. And you know, this is the first time in the Bible, the very first time that that cloud that was at Moses' tabernacle and in the Garden of Eden and in Solomon's temple, this is the first time that cloud has shown up again since that temple that Solomon built. Now here's the cloud again. No wonder they were terrified. The cloud is back. The spirit has come. And then in the middle of the cloud, a voice. This is my son, which means that's the voice of who? The Father. You have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Spirit. The name that was placed on you when you were baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the living presence of God, Jesus, the Messiah who died for you, the Spirit who takes what Jesus did and applies it to your life, the Father who planned your salvation from before time began, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are there with the apostles and with Moses and Elijah. What are you seeing here? You're seeing heaven, literally heaven on earth. That's what the kingdom is. It's a sign of the kingdom, and it's what you and I are going to enjoy forever.
My friend, the day is coming where you will stand in the cloud again and you will hear the voice of the Father and you will, you will see the Son on his throne and you'll be standing there with Moses and Elijah. You'll be standing there with Peter and James and John and be going, tell me about that. Tell me about what you saw. And then they'll all just say, look up there and you'll see Jesus at the center of the throne and that vision will be enough. You say, well, I can't wait. But what about now? Well, you see, this word transfigured is very important. It's the word where we get, we get metamorphosis. It means change. Those of you who are biology majors, you know what metamorphosis is. It's a transformation from the inside out. What was on the inside came out. That's what happened. What was on the inside of Jesus, the eternal nature of God, was suddenly seen on the outside. He was transfigured. A metamorphosis took place for a moment. He was translucent. The veil was pulled back and they saw him. But what's interesting is this. Paul uses that very same word to describe you and me as followers of Jesus. What happens to us? Let me remind you. Romans chapter 12 I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God, to your reasonable service of worship. Don't be conformed, don't be conformed to this age. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed. It's the same word. You and I, while we are here this morning and as we are going through life, are being changed from the inside out. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says this. As you behold the glory of Jesus with an unveiled face, you just take every, you just, you just before the Lord and say, Lord, I just want to see you. I want to be in your presence. It says, you are being transformed from glory to glory, from heavy to heavy. You're being changed. One day, finally, we shall be completely changed. Paul put it this way. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. At the end of history, those who are alive when Christ comes will be physically, spiritually transformed. But all of us who die before that day occurs, we will also be changed. We will be changed. And therefore, what we see in this passage is not only a revelation of the identity of who Jesus is, that he is God and man. We see a revelation of the destiny that we have as citizens of the kingdom. His robe shone white. His face was like the sun shining in its strength. That's the same vision that John saw on the Isle of Patmos. He saw Jesus' son he saw Jesus' face like the sun shining in its strength. He saw his robe white, dipped in blood. Can I ask you, what color are your robes in heaven? What are you clothed with? All the saints of heaven with their white robes. They're shining, it says, like the sun there in heaven. What you see in Jesus here is what's going to happen to you. Because he's the first of many, brethren. You're being conformed to his image. I can't wait. It's going to be new creation. Everything will be made new. New souls, new bodies, everything is made new. Mine's going to have hair. I can't wait. <laughs> White robe is great, but you know. Hey. You say, well, that'll be great, but what about change now? Yes, we're being changed. Don't be conformed to this world. 
Don't be conformed to this age, Paul says in Romans, but be transformed. The tenses go on being changed. Sometimes you'll hear people say something like this. God just loves you as you are. Well, to be more precise, God loves us despite the way we are. He has no illusions. He had no illusions to begin with. He loves us. But listen, friends, he not only loves us as he finds us, he never says, clean up your act to come to me. He says, I'll clean you. I'll cleanse you. God loves us as he finds us, but listen, he loves us too much to leave us the way we are with the attitudes of bitterness and anger and malice and hatred, of the deceit that is in our heart and in our lips, the lust, the passions, all of these things. God is working in us to change us, and we long for that change. And if you're a believer today, you keep bringing to the Lord these things which we know need to change. Lord, my thoughts that need to be changed, my desires, which are, which are illegitimate, and they need to be transformed. And sometimes we grow discouraged with all of that. But listen, to, listen, friends, keep bringing them to Jesus. Why? Because he, by the cloud and by his word, listen to what happened. In the presence of Jesus, the spirit showed up and the word showed up. And when you have the word and the spirit in your life, you will be transfigured. You will be transformed. That's why every single time you are standing in God's presence in worship or listening to his word being read and expounded or taking the cup of wine and bread in your hands or renewing your baptism, whatever you're doing that, you're in the presence of God, you're beholding the glory of God and you are being changed. My friends, this is the change we all need, and this morning, I want you to know the source of it. A few weeks later, Jesus took these same three men, Peter, James, and John, and he went up on another mountain, the Mount of Olives. And on the Mount of Olives was a garden called Gethsemane. And there, in Gethsemane, Jesus was not translucent with divinity. He was stricken in his humanity. And he fell on his knees with Peter, James, and John, and he wept, and he stressed, and he was in agony. And it says the sweat was like great drops of blood flowing down upon the ground. And he, he was in agony as he thought about the cross and what was ahead of him. All that he was to pass through, the spiritual conflict, the warfare, bearing, bearing the sins of David Cassidy, because those are many. And bearing our sins, bearing the sins of the world, bearing the guilt, the pain, the shame, all the punishment, all that wrath that was poured out. And he said, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but what? Thy will. See, in his humanity, he had a will. He didn't want to. He, in his humanity, looked at the cross as any of us would with horror. Is there any other way? What, what were the disciples seeing in that moment? His divinity or his humanity? They were seeing his humanity. And that's why a few weeks before, the Father had mercy on those apostles and showed them his divinity. And it changed them. 
Years later, Peter would write in 2 Peter chapter 1, when we tell you the truth of the gospel we share with you, we are not using cleverly devised myths. We're not telling you fables of things from long ago. No, I was with him on the holy mountain. I was in the cloud. I heard the voice. I was there. Peter, for the rest of his life, remembered that moment. On March 31st, 1974, somehow, the God I'd always believed on in my head was the God I encountered in my heart. Oh, friends, I'd been in church all my life. I was 14 at the time, and I'd been in church. I, look, I was born on Sunday morning at 8.30, just in time for the service. And a week later, my parents drugged me to church, poured water on my head in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I've barely missed a service since then. <laughs> if you'd have asked me when I was six years old, do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? I'd have said, well, yes, because every Sunday I said, I believe that he's born of the Virgin Mary. If you'd have said to me, what's a virgin? I'd have said, uh, I don't know. And if I'd have turned to my dad, what's a virgin? He'd have said, ask your mother. <laughs> I didn't understand. You don't understand everything in order to believe. If you're waiting to understand everything about God until you believe, you'll miss it. We believe in order to understand. Credo ut intelligam. We believe in order that we come to an understanding. Listen, friends, the task of Christianity is not to give you easy answers to complex questions. It's to lead you deeper into a mystery. This is a weird, mysterious passage. God offers no answers to every single one of our questions. He offers himself. And in Gethsemane, Jesus got down on his face and he said, Father, I'll go to the cross. I'll offer myself for my people. And friends, I'm telling you this morning, because of in his humanity, Jesus said yes to the cross, that means that you and I can be one with him in eternity. And I want to invite you to receive the one who is God and man who brought about a greater exodus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you. We thank you that you have manifested your glory and your kingdom, that you gave us a taste of heaven on earth. But we long to see earth become heaven. And we long for all of those who are with us here this day and many who are not to be citizens of that eternal kingdom. And I pray for all those here this morning who need that unveiling of the beauty and the light and the glory of Jesus that Peter experienced, that happened to me. I pray that you would, you would give that to them today that you would move Christian faith from something being just a set of principles in their head to an existential reality in their heart and that you would transform them. And Lord, all of us struggle. You know how badly we need change in so many areas. I pray for all those who are discouraged and dismayed this morning that you would show us your glory and change our misguided desires Transform our terrible hatreds. Step out, Lord, and show your face to us again in your word. Send the cloud. Let us hear the voice. 
and change us, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's stand together and worship the one who came to save us.